Hello and welcome to Open House, a property podcast focusing on the Geelong market, brought to you by this guy here, Ricky Fort at Geelong Real Estate Co. Contact Ricky if you want to buy or sell your home in the Geelong region. We are very fortunate today to be joined by, well, one of the most authoritative voices in Melbourne uh, when it comes to property in Victoria, really, because uh, Kate Bacos has a little love of Geelong. She mentions it all the time on her podcast, a property planner, buyer and professor, and I'm a binge listener, Kate. So it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. I'm getting worried now. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me, guys. It's true. I love Geelong. Love the market. Ricky, you know Kate? I do. I do. And I'd say my first thing would be don't let the um, the smile fool you when it comes down <laughs> to representing a client. She's an absolute bull. So I'd um, take that smile with a grain of salt. But no, I've had the pleasure of meeting Kate at quite a few properties now. So yeah, I can, um, yeah, I can speak to her reputation. Very highly regarded. Thanks, Ricky. Kate, let's talk about your love for Geelong first. I know Ricky wants to ask you some questions about your business and how a buyer's agent can help buyers. But how long have you been buying in Geelong and, and what is it about Geelong that that you uh, that you love so much? I grew up in Sorrento. So catching that ferry over to Queenscliff and hanging out with people on the other side was something that, that I did a lot anyway. So I already had an affinity with your city and I've got family roots back there. So I still have family in Geelong. And I was a cat supporter from a very early age because my grandfather literally on his deathbed um, gave me a little cat's jumper and made me promise I'd always back for the cats. And it was the last time I saw him, he made me promise. So yeah, it was a, a touching story and I've still got my little, my little jumper. And Geelong West apparently um, uh, is a suburb that you've been buying in for a long time now, maybe a decade or so. And it's a suburb that is really gentrified. You talk about gentrification on your podcast a lot. Uh, Obviously, uh, you own the corridor in Yarraville and Seddon and inner Melbourne West, but there are some similarities to those suburbs and and Geelong when we talk about gentrification. Yeah, absolutely. From the architecture to the demographic um, and the side of the city, Geelong West has, has done a lot. I've, I started buying there 11 years ago and I was purchasing period houses in threes and fours and, you know, helping people get into that market back then. And I've watched Geelong really go through a renaissance over the last 10 years. A lot has changed. And, and I had a lot of people questioning my enthusiasm for the city when the Ford plant closure came to a head. And yeah, it, there was that, there was Alcoa, there was... Yeah, there was a few. We we took a big hit there for a while. Yeah, and Geelong is is an incredible city because it's a city that has had a few hits in the past. I mean, the pyramid collapse was was brutal for a lot of people. I had family caught up in that. And this city has continued to to thrive and to to change itself. So Renaissance is the right word, I think. And I, I look at the water precinct, I look at the arts precinct, that gallery of yours is beautiful. And what's happening in the laneways now and you know, the university scene down on the waterfront, it, it's really doing something. And to, to take a city that is an easy commute back to Melbourne, if there's anything in Melbourne that you need that isn't on offer in Geelong, which is not much, um, you've got university, the hospital, you've got jobs. You've got lots of jobs going at the moment. And you've had um, rail upgrades, that Geelong Road, it's not always a pleasant drive, but it's generally an easy drive. And you've got Avalon Airport and most recently the... Um, the spirit of Tasmania is moving to the port of Cryo. 
So, yeah, you've got a lot happening. And, you know, I, I don't think that it, it was ever going to be a slow renaissance. It was always going to be supercharged. But having COVID lockdowns and a bit of an escape from the capital city, it's just spurred everything on for your market, without a doubt. Well, Geelong property must be going well if Ricky Fork can just branch away from the big dogs and open <laughs> a business in his own. Ricky, what's it like um, having a small business and... I'm sure you might um, uh, hit up Kate with a few questions on how to, you know, get get a small business underway in the property game. Yeah, well, Kate would know a lot more than I, but yeah, she's been around a lot longer than I have. I think, yeah, as I said, it's my seventh year in, in the industry, but um, yeah, obviously first couple of months as um, a business owner hasn't been ideal. I think for the first 10 or 11 weeks, we've been in lockdown for eight of them. So that hasn't been a great start to a new business, but there's lots of people out there in a worse position than I. But um, as you said, I'd love to ask Kate your opinion on um, when you talk about the longevity of the burn. Um, so obviously we're seeing a boom, but um, obviously Jamie and I are probably a little bit, um, what's the word? Like we live here. So yeah, we live and breathe this market, but from an external point of view, Obviously, we haven't had immigration in two years. We haven't had, so I'm keen to hear, um, yeah, what dialogue you're having with buyers around the longevity of the value down here. Yeah, that's a really good question because you'll always have people wondering whether, you know, is it a flash in the pan? Is it a, a response to COVID and will things die down and bounce back? Will, will Melbourne um, people who have moved decide to go back to, to the capital city. And, and that's, you know, a concern for anyone who's invested in anything. They'll, they'll always fear things changing. But I think we've, we've got to take stock of, of Geelong and all that it's become, not just as an escape from the city, because it's an, a city in its own right. And I know from chatting to people in, in your city that, that I work with regularly, you've had a bit of an exodus as well with, with some of the locals going for a more country and rural lifestyle. It's, it's not just a Melbourne thing. If anyone wants to get away from a city, um, they've, they've made that move in COVID. So uh, the conversation that I have is to think about Geelong's long-term growth prospects based on all of the things I, I reeled off before. Uh, employment's a big one. You can't make something a sustainable move if there's limited employment and per capita, you're not undergoing any of those threats. And I always look at Sydney and mirror um, Sydney's flow into Wollongong and Newcastle and those regional city, um, you know, uh, trajectories that they experienced and how Geelong compares to those two locations. And the reality is there's a lot of commonality and the commute distance between Sydney and Wollongong or Sydney and Newcastle is far greater than Melbourne and Geelong. So we have to remember that. And Sydney started seeing some of their, their Sydney siders move into those regions because it was a response to rising house prices. And we're having a lot of that as well. You know that one of the, the first things Melbournians will say in Geelong is the value that they get for the same dollars. You can buy a period house in Geelong for a, a townhouse or a villa in a budget. And that's that's significant. So a lot of people are adopting the city because they love it, but it, I would be glossing over one of the biggest motivators if I didn't acknowledge the value proposition. Mm. Well, I think that's probably a good segue into you're the enemy for a lot of long, a lot of Geelong buyers because obviously you represent, it's not you personally around, so don't send Kate hate mail, but um, you represent obviously the, the buyers and, and we refer to them as the cash up buyers from Melbourne. So yeah, I, I guess what sort of clients are you representing and, and 
yeah how do they find you bag. It, it really is mixed bag i've got investors interstate and local investors i've got first home buyers who are making that move and getting getting jobs in geelong i have entrepreneurs who are able to set up shop and and work remotely they might want something a little bit coastal so they won't necessarily be in the heart of Geelong City they might choose Ballerine or the Surf Coast I've got retirees I've got people that want to move closer to their children who are based in Geelong having kids uh, I've got families Melbourne families who are looking at a family home upgrade and saying we could be closer to the city centre and nearer to what, whatever school they're choosing I mean you've got good schools too mm. It's an enormously diverse mix and you'd be surprised at, at just how diverse it is. I haven't got a particular cookie cut um, style of buyer that targets Geelong, but I do know when I've bid at auction, we don't get every auction, that's for sure. And occasionally when we do, you'll hear someone, you know, saying that they're from Melbourne and there's that, you know, that look of just sheer despondence and, and frustration. But everybody's got a budget limit and I don't feel that Melbournians necessarily look at Geelong and say I'll pay Melbourne dollars for that property and I'll just pay whatever it takes it, it doesn't work like that and one of the, the biggest things that we have to educate people around is the fact that your market has moved so quickly and it, it yeah you might get more value in a certain pocket of Geelong than you do in a certain pocket of Melbourne but I can't take on someone whose expectation is is out of whack with what what is currently you know in the market. So if I've got a buyer that wants a period house for half a million dollars, it's not going to happen. It used mm. to, but I can't wind back the clock to two thousand and fourteen. Mm. It's a good segue. We spoke, Damien and I spoke about before we got started that um, that's a big part of my job as well in terms of you know we'll have an open for inspection and. Um, yeah, you might have a property that you think is really well priced or you know is really well priced as the agent. You're getting lots of calls, lots of emails, everything like that. I was, I was telling you before we got started on air, but yeah, we had this property that um, we just had a calendar mix up and we're at the open for inspection a bit early, um, like half an hour early. And we had this buyer come through and it's like, oh, he's, you're open. So we, we let her come through and then on the way out, she turned around and said, oh, you know, it's a lot of work. And I'm like, oh, love, like it's, you know, it, this will go for full price or more this afternoon. Um, so, yeah, I'm keen to hear about, um, I think one of the best things about having you on the podcast is helping buyers understand like where to find value or how to how to read between the lines or or use your experience in, in how to get up to speed with the market. Because what, what I see, obviously, is buyers at all different parts of the buyer cycle. And some of them have just started looking, some have been looking for ages. But yeah, just how, how you get people up to speed quickly, um, yeah, to understand value. The first thing that I need to do as, as an advisor, as a buyer's advocate, is understand exactly what they're wanting to achieve and, and work through what's going to work for them. And that is all around the metrics. If they're an investor, I've got to talk about how much they want to spend, what sort of liquidity position they're in, what cash flows they can deal with what sort of rental yield I might need to manage from a, an ongoing cash flow point of view or or maybe their lender restrictions and I've got to also be really mindful of vacancy rates which is not really plaguing Geelong at the moment you've got very tight vacancy rates but if it's a home buyer or even an investor who who has other needs that I need to be mindful of like an inability to deal with a renovation or a reluctance to deal with 
constant maintenance. Well, I, I won't be recommending an old period property that hasn't had a recent renovation because that's not going to suit their lifestyle and they'll, they'll not enjoy being a landlord of that property. And likewise, if, if they're moving there, I've got to understand what their needs are. So we put a, a huge focus on working through a strategy with them that's totally tailored to them so that when we hit the ground running, we're looking for the right properties. And I've got to know my areas. I've got to know what is available in, in a suburb like Grovedale versus closer into the city. It might be in you know West or Newtown or even looking at um, East Geelong. I've got to have a really good grip on, on the, the style and flavour of housing. There's some really good modern townhouses that, that offer great gen, you know, generous floor areas or all the bells and whistles that someone who wants low maintenance will enjoy. Mm. So that's the first part of the equation. And then I can go through um, a process that I take my clients through to make sure that their search is feasible. And I think that's what you're getting at, Ricky, making sure that they are looking for properties that are within their spend range. And if, if they're looking at stuff they can't afford, then they're not only wasting their mental energy and potentially some finances on the due diligence, they're wasting the opportunity because the market's moving. And no one wants to find out after three months of searching that they've been looking for the wrong property. Because I mean, was this pretty much word for word what we said about, at the, you know, before we started recording that um, buyers need to circle back and listen to that sentence again, that paragraph again and again and again, because as my role, I just see people who just aren't educated. And I'm talking like 95 plus percent of the market. I'm not talking what a, a few people walking around with no idea around what's going on, but I couldn't agree more because yeah, with a buyer, you know, Damien's the, figures guru but we're seeing like 10 percent growth per annum basically across every suburb in geelong yep. so yeah you're right if, if a buyer is taking three months to figure it out if you quantify that it's it's easy to see why they need to do something now i've got a good little hack if you guys want me to share it go ahead i get onto the sold tab of a search engine straight onto the sold tab pop in the suburbs that we think are the suburbs we're chasing after we've you know got a feel for the properties that that we love and then we look at the sold tab and only focus on the the value band that we've got to spend so if someone has eight hundred thousand dollars to spend we might do a 650 to 800 search or 650 to 900 search so that they can see what's going over their budget and then we we just step through all of the recently sold sales there shouldn't be too many once you pop on your filters and if what you love is selling over 800 and you need to change up your brief. You yep. might find a similar product in a, a lesser land value area. So that might mean moving one out. And a really good example is, you know, maybe you shift from Geelong West and have a look at Manifold Heights. That's just one example. But when you've got an idea of, of exactly what's selling in the last three months, we can't go back any further because your market's moving so fast. Yep. If we go back beyond three months, we're looking at the wrong sales. So that's that's the first thing I do. And if you can't get five that are representative of what you want in the suburbs that you're keen on, your search isn't feasible. And it's that simple. It's a search engine, you know, reverse sold tab search. And that can take an hour. It might take a day if you're really, you know, challenging yourself, but you can't be looking for a needle in a haystack and you have to Google straight view them. Because if it looks too good to be true, there's a reason why. And it's yep. usually location. Okay. I'm in sales. You just got to back up and we, we can't talk about that. 
Why is that? No, no. That's the number one trick. Everyone knows that. Wide angle, wide angle lens, Vaseline on the, you know. It's, there's, there's a, a conversation around a property with a compromise and, you know, it's the elephant in the room for a buyer's agent, but let's talk about it. Let's say it's on a super main road. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be buying that, but you, the buyer has to be really okay with that because reselling it in a softer market will be harder. Right now, this market is really forgiving and, and anything in a compromised location will sell easier now than it would in a normal balanced market and in a buyer's market would be very difficult. So if you're making the decision to buy a property on super busy road or backing onto a train line or on a roundabout or whatever the compromise is, you know, overlooking something not so pretty or it's got high voltage power lines, whatever, making a compromise like that might enable you to buy the property in the suburb that you'd ordinarily be, uh, you know, restricted from buying price-wise. But ask yourself if that's the compromise that you're okay making. Otherwise, it might mean that you've got to change up your brief, go for less bedrooms or smaller land or something a bit older or yep. move into the next suburb. Yeah, I'm keen to share some stories with you. For those who have listened to our first two episodes, I've had a mate in Melbourne who's been looking for a while and we actually pulled the trigger on one over the weekend. Um, what happened was um, the property had been touted as coming on the market for a while and we knew character home, Myers Street in East Geelong, and you've just bought in the same street for one of your clients not that long ago, um, character home and we knew as soon as it came on the market we had to act so we had one open the builder went and had a look ticked it off yep uh, nice floor plan um, yeah north facing backyard in a great street obviously and the buyers had been missed out on a couple um, advertised 800 to 880 I said you know this if this is your house for 10 years you're not going to lose on it we put in an offer on the Wednesday afternoon at 975. And we said, this offer stands for 48 hours. Um, if, if, it, if, it, um, if your vendors aren't satisfied, we've got other properties on Saturday that we would be interested in looking at. Anyway, the agent did the right thing, actually called a auction on Friday night. So within the 48 hours and the agent found one other bidder. He did the right thing for his vendor and it was my mate versus another bidder. And they both went absolutely to their limit. If it went $1,000, $1,000 more my mate would have missed out and it end up going for 1.05 for a three-bed, one-bath character home in Myers Street, north-facing backyard. So well over expectation. But as you said, um, Kate, if, if you're not willing to compromise on character, great suburb um, and the bedrooms, you have to compromise on budget because you know those sort of properties that are well sought after don't come on the market very often. Well done. Yeah, well, great for them. I was, I felt sick watching watching it go <laughs> as high as it did. But um, Street. they still haven't Very seen nice. the property yet, but they'll be wrapped um, when they get in there. Um, and and you had a sort of not a similar in that sense, but um, you were sort of rushed through for an auction the day that Geelong went into lockdown, right? That was yeah. a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. And I think we went into lockdown at one o'clock and there were a number of auctions in the afternoon that, that got dragged forward. So I think you've got a story there to share. Funny, yeah. So that wasn't a sight unseen effort. Obviously, uh, the client was was ready to buy that one and the auction was at 1.30. So I was prepped and ready here with a, a Zoom. Well, it wasn't a Zoom auction. It was an in-person 
and the agent was fabulous and he um he said look I've, I've got a director from the team he will be your bidder and you'll be fine bidding and I knew his director that was lovely so we're all set then I got the message from the girls we've got a group chat and um Geelong's going into lockdown one o'clock crap <laughs> so I was you know scrambling around thinking what are we going to do and I just said to him convert it to zoom we can do this anyway no he, his vendor wanted it in person and, and that's the way it went and he moved it back to 12 30 and I said okay cool where's where's your director oh he's he's got to do another auction you know all these poor guys are just condensing everything and I was a bit rattled I was breaking out he said I'll get my friend to help you I'm thinking God. Well, it's not a real estate agent I'm, I've got clients at the other end and it, it came together really well he's, his mate did a great job and I was able to effectively phone bid and and do it on zoom with my clients so I'm literally holding a sign and you know showing them what's going on and and we had competition and we got it it was just one of those days and of course hammer fell at probably at, you know how it goes Ricky about 11 minutes in <laughs> the hammer falls and so then they had to get contracts sorted and of course, we've got lockdown at one o'clock and yeah. it was wild. What suburb was that, Kate? That was in Hamlin Heights. Yeah. And how was that Saturday for you, Ricky? Did you have any auctions that day? Uh, or any uh, open okay. <laughs> What weekend is this? That was your lockdown weekend. Yeah. Um, was it the 12th of August? Um, it would have been early August, yeah. Oh, I don't even know. Damien, you know my <laughs> schedule. It's just, they all blend together. It's just been yeah. keeping your head above water. Um, Kate, I just wanted to, before we kept going, I just want to ask you a couple of questions about your business. Because um, um, Damien and I put in our social media that we were obviously having you on the podcast and had lots of um, comments and, and lots of positive sentiment about you coming on. Um, interestingly, I had a lot of, um, of my female um, followers reach out. They're big advocates of yours. They love your work. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to chat yeah. to you about a couple of yeah, a couple of things about your business. Now, obviously, I've met a couple of the girls in um, Stacey and Shannon. So I think is it a team of five? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And so you're lucky in terms of the local lockdowns. You're obviously still stuck in Melbourne, but you do have a local Geelong representative. I do, yes. Yeah. So if obviously you've got clients in Geelong that, um, yeah, need the leg work, you've yep. got the legs here in Geelong. That's right. And I'm pretty fortunate. Stacey's got a, a defecting background, meaning she's she's been able to go through um, buildings and, you know, identify issues. So she's got a real eagle eye and I'm, I'm fortunate there. Our clients are as well, but not every client wants us to select a property on their behalf and not have them through. So we are still very much spinning our wheels because I'm um, not getting the welcome mat thrown out to me quite yet. Uh, in Geelong. We we have our ring of steel. So yeah, we've just yeah. Um, and in an overly um, male represented industry, I had a lot of, um, as I said, female um, friends reach out and, and kind of ask how you got started um, in doing what you're doing and people who are potentially looking to the next generation of people coming in. Yeah. yeah. Kind of asking. Yeah. If, how do you do it? Yeah. It is an interesting role because there's not a, a university course for it or a, you know, a typical apprenticeship. I think the best way to do it is via an apprenticeship, so to speak. So working under someone and learning the craft 
And we're seeing a lot of new market entrants now coming in, but it's one of those jobs you carry an enormous responsibility. You are, are giving critical advice when it comes to, especially if you're dabbling in property investment. Um, and how did I get into it? I'm an investor who has been doing it for quite a while. I've been an investor for more than half of my life my lifespan now um and I, I was a chemist to start with and I wasn't a very good chemist <laughs> <laughs> I was way more into property and that was what I wanted to do so I actually you know to get my my property industry experience I was a selling agent and that was awesome I learned a lot about the the harsh reality of it and also you know the competitive nature of it the need to be good at it or or you can't sustain yourself because as as you both would appreciate it's it's largely commission based and it, and it really relies on you being able to actualize you know your own ability and commercialize it and i also learned a lot about the the cycle that the vendors go on as well which is really critical because if you can stand in their shoes or you can recognize what's going on on the other side and understand the, the dialogue that the agents are likely to be having with vendors and the decisions they're having to make. I think you can be a lot better as a negotiator. You learn patience and you, you learn to read the play. And that, that's really important. That was probably one of the best things I could have done um, to lead into this. And I was also a mortgage broker. Um, when, I, when I was pregnant with my little girl, I, I knew that working in the property industry as an agent was going to be really challenging with a little one. So I was a broker for four and a half years and, and that taught me a lot about the investing side of things and dealing with banks and, you know, what's happening at that end. So mm. I, I feel, you know, at the time I, I had a patchwork quilt CV and I wondered if it would ever come together, but I look at it now and think it was a, a really good combo of skills to, to bring into a role like this. You hit the nail on the head. It's a perfect storm of experience um in the past it's come i was in finance as well in a past um in a past life of indigo bank and, and i was in a social media role um with them as well and i agree i think it's what you um all those things come together beautifully for what you offer your clients last question about your business is obviously yeah with the team of five um i'm pretty sure everyone's female is that do, is that by design? Is it girl power or is it just best candidate? Oh, yeah, totally by default. No, I didn't engineer it that way. And the girls are amazing that I work with. They're incredible people. But I, I think, you know, when I see them in, in full flight on the phone and files flying and, and everything's going on, like multitasking, it happens heaps in our office. And we're pretty, um, pretty aligned and, and we get along really well. And it has to be a team effort. There's no way that... You know, if one person is a bit flat or a bit off their game, you all know it because you, you're so cohesive and there's no way I could do what I do without them. And they, they have, you know, their own approaches, but also their own skill set. I've got someone in my team who's so eagle-eyed with all the, the um, contract prep and the auction file preparation because we have to be able to pick up an auction file get in the car, go to the auction and bid and know which special conditions are being struck, what was arranged with the agent about the, the payment of deposit, what settlement period are we dealing with, how is it being signed up, is the client there in person, are we, do we need a power of attorney? There's, there's so much legal complexity to all of that that you don't get a second chance with. It has to be spot on on auction day and I've got someone who's just all over it. If I could strip it right back, how does a buyer's agent help a buyer 
Um, I guess that's a, a question that some people might want to ask. Um, yeah. they, they see houses and they're like, oh, it can't be hard to go look at a few houses and pick one that I Come like. Come on, Damien. Come on, man. I've had buyer's agents uh, on previous seasons of this show, Tony Slacks, um, a man in Geelong who um, who sort of owns this Hi, market. But, yeah, he'll be listening for sure. And, and we've, um, we've certainly advocated for... Um, for buyers agents but in simple terms for a buyer out there listening yep. how can you help them anyone anyone can buy a property provided they're over 18 you can sign a contract yep. um i don't recommend approaching it like that of course and there are some buyers who who do it really really well without an advocate i want to say that up front i've i've seen people that have come back to me and said i, I know i met with you I wasn't comfortable with the fee or I really wanted to give it a crack myself and this is what I bought. And I'll look at it and think, mm, they did pretty good. You know, that's a good property. I would have picked something like that and I would have paid something like that. So it can be done. It's the things that can go wrong that freak out a lot of people and it's the time that it takes to get it right. If you're really dedicated to the research and you're tapping into all the right people and, and you don't have complexity um, bumping into you, you'll probably do okay. But the role of a buyer's agent is there's a lot of crossover with what a, a listing or a selling agent does. And you know this, Ricky, generally a selling agent deals with both parties. You know, they, they've got really good at dealing with the vendor and the buyer at the same time. And the best case scenario is when the deal is done, and everyone's happy. That's a, a perfect win-win. But the difference between me and a listing agent is I'm paid by the buyer. I work for the buyer. I'm prepared to have you know, a pushback with the listing agent when I have to. And you don't want to get into battle, but you also naturally have that um, that that healthy tension sometimes. And I always, always remember that the listing agent works for the vendor. Their job is, is to look after the vendor's fiduciary interests. So if that means fighting hard to get the vendor the best result possible, if someone, if a buyer doesn't know what they're doing or they don't know what value the property represents, they, they might pay too much or miss out on it for a price that they should have paid, things can go wrong. So the role of a buyer's agent has a lot of similarities. We have similar hours, similar number of phone calls. Um, we, we just are working on the other side of the fence. Yeah, yeah I think it's, um, you've hit the nail on the head. We, we serve two different purposes and, and the amount of times like Damien knows that I, I've been doing a, um, a lot of best and final lately, just based on the circumstance, like auctions, um, being cancelled and having 24 hours notice like I don't think I'm not a one-size-fits-all like you might remember Kate and um, I was working under Will Ainsworth at McGrath and we were running a lot of open negotiation that was it we we're doing that we've you know done best and finals we've done auctions we've done private sale we've done everything um, and I think the education piece is by far the most like if I think if that's all you did then you're worth your weight in gold because the amount of times we'll run a best in finals or something like that. And you'll have people that potentially like miss out by, you know, 5% or something like that. Mm -hmm. And everyone reaches out to us and says, Oh, if you have anything similar, like, you know, we'd love to be kept in the loop and things like that. And it's just, um, I'm the first to put my hand up. It is not possible in this current market. If you've got 60 or 70 buyers coming through one property and if you've, you're carrying 10 at a time, and you've got 10 people missing out per property, that's 100 buyers that it's just not possible. So any agent that says that they're servicing the buyers and they're staying in touch with everyone, I, it's just not It's just not possible. When you're to the level, sorry, I'll, I'll clear that up, to the level that you are, 
because when you're talking about helping people understand their finances and, and what's involved and and just that whole piece that you spoke about before, I just think there's such a massive, I think if we were more like the American system, yeah, when um, the agents involved on, on both sides, but yeah, I just think you're just so invaluable. And if everyone took the leaf out of your book, the whole industry would be, they'd run a lot smoother, I think. Thanks, Ricky. Well, uh, Ricky, how often would you have a property that's maybe the vendors want to go off market? They don't want their neighbours to know or family that they're selling and you call up a Tony Slack or a Kate Bacos and say, hey, do you have any clients looking in our area because we have this property that I don't want to list publicly? Mm. It's a good question and we're getting asked by that by buyers a lot and Kate, you're probably in a just as good a position um, or better than me because you've obviously got relationships with all the agents out there, but it's not something that we see often. You know, it's not a lot of vendors, obviously in a market that's as hot as this, they feel like it's a gamble to sell the property off the market. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's really like I have, I have sold, um, yeah, so I one in Humble Street, East Geelong, um, not long ago off market for that very reason that the seller wasn't, yeah, it was a very private and confidential person, but it's not often. Kate, what are you finding? Are you finding that um, through your relationships that you're getting in many doors or is that drying up or what does that look like? I think off markets are overtalked. I really do. I watch a lot of people use them as a selling tool and I'm not debating that people don't buy off market, but there are two types of off market. There's, there's what we call the situational off market where someone has to sell off market because they can't have a campaign. It might be because... They've got to have a sales result and a settlement within a time frame that's too tight to run a normal auction campaign. Or it could be that the property's tenanted and access is really tough. It could be that their own circumstances are just really difficult for them to manage opens, whether it's a little baby or someone not well in the, in the household. There's lots of reasons. And that's a situational off market. When they come about, you know that you, for the right price and meet their terms, you'll probably get the right property at a pleasing price. And then there's the opportunistic off market. That's the person who says, I don't want to go to any effort. I don't want to put any risk out there. I don't want to pay any advertising dollars. And I just expect you to bring me a buyer with a really great price tag. And the problem with that in in a seller's market is they're either lazy or greedy to start with. When you bring them the offer, they want more. And then, you know, the number of deals that I've got excited about and then had the agent say, I'm so sorry, they want to run a campaign now. I, I can't count on two hands in the last couple of months. And it's really important that we work out what sort of off-market it is. Is it is it a situational one or is it an opportunistic one? Because if it's opportunistic, I don't want to burn this buyer or get them excited about a mirage. And then while they're chasing that rainbow, they're missing out on real deals. I guess that's the fear of a buyer though, who is weighing up whether to go with an agent or not. They might see this um, buyer's agent post on Instagram that they secured their client and off market. And it's like, damn it. I wish I had contacted that buyer's agent. So I'm in the loop on any of these sort of properties. So it is that. I mean, so I don't want to talk it down completely because there are off-markets. I've bought off-markets and they're good, but you've got to ask all of the right questions to understand why it's going to off-market. Because you just said it, Ricky, if it's a really hot market and a vendor knows that they could spend five grand on advertising and get 
you know, $50,000 worth of additional competition, well, that's a no-brainer. That's a really healthy return on investment. And we spoke about, obviously, um, there will be people out there that don't feel like that or want to do it themselves and uh, feel like they don't need as buyer's agents. That's what pod, these podcasts are for. That's what our show is for. I felt like during the week I had Kate Bagos on one shoulder and Bryce Holdaway on another and Peter Kalizos on my head. Um, so that, I, I think um, education is great. If you feel like you want to give it a go yourself, uh, certainly this is why we are here to discuss. Now, we've had a few questions on the Instagram page. Um, Alex Ross, I yeah. feel like you've had something to do with buying Alex um, some houses. Yeah. Um, he did ask one question on your page. Was there, what's your favourite suburb and why is it Rippleside? <laughs> yeah, I love it. Hi, Alex. Alex <laughs> is a special past client and we purchased for Alex, well, we secured a property for Alex, he purchased it. And it was a, um, a property in Rippleside that, um, had a, a sale result a year or so later of the mirror image property and it was a, a period house I love Rippleside it is my favorite little suburb and it's little it's very little there's so much to Rippleside to like and I'm a bit of a walker I love a nice weekend hike and from Rippleside you can walk into the city you can go to the waterfront um, it's got a park on on one side of it those streets just take you straight to the waterfront well, to the to the cliff edge and you've got Geelong Station, an easy walk away. And I think Rippleside is one to watch because it's not inundated with cafes and lifestyle stuff right now, but that will change. And there are some higher density developments taking place there for all the right reasons. The developers are onto it. You've got a vista, you're walking distance to everything. I think it's incredible. But yes, Rippleside was one that, that was on my favourites list for Alex. We were looking at period houses um, in all of those those suburbs that essentially touch postcode 3220. And um, when this one came up, we pounced on it. Is that 39 Margaret Street or is that a different no, story? No, that's so another, us, another favourite Rippleside. That's got a good story too. Tell us about that one. My best mate had um, a desire to buy another investment property and her husband's kind of that healthy balance. This is not yet, slow down, you know, let's let's firm up our financial position. And she's like a bull at a gate and ended up getting pre-approval for 660. And said to me, here it is, here it all is. Like, take it, buy me whatever you want. And I'm not going to put anything on you. I don't have any expectations. I don't need to say a strategy. Now, obviously she's my best friend and I've helped her with her other acquisitions. So I understand her portfolio. And Talk about the, pressure, Jesus, I would not want to be, yeah, that sounds right, like a lot of pressure. Right. And it, when you've got a client that says, I'm trusting you, I'm listening to you, here's all the information, here's all my data, what do you think? I've obviously got to ask a lot of questions to, to make sure I get something that they'll be pleased with in terms of, you know, it's maintenance levels and all that kind of stuff. But I know these guys very well. And I thought I've got an opportunity to get them a capital growth performer. And 660 in Melbourne in November 2019, it wouldn't have got us a period house, that's for sure. And if we were getting a house on, on its own full block, it would have been probably around a 17 to, to 20 kilometre radius from the city in a gentrifying suburb with, you know, a very, very different demographic. And I thought, let's go Geelong and get something that looks pretty enough or can be prettied up because these guys can renovate. And I want it to be on as good a piece of land as possible. And, you know, in one of my favoured 
suburbs. And 39 Margaret Street came up and it was a, a three bedroom house with a um, the opportunity to pretty it up. So the front of it, you know, they've, they've replaced the gorgeous period windows at some stage in the 70s with, you know, yucky looking metal windows. And so this is a house that it has good bones, but it needs to, to have a makeover. But the, the layout, the floor plan, everything was good. And it was north facing on its own full block. And I look at that now, you know, 660 back then and what it's worth now, it's a, a premium suburb and it's a, a really beautiful house so close to the water in the park what are you appraising that at now kate <laughs> i think it's getting close to to circling a meal yeah that's with the reno done to it no no because and it's perfectly rentable now it's fine it's not a it's not a falling down house it's just not as beautiful as it could be but yeah. you know it's got a good street presence and um and it's it's rented consistently since they bought it and they've done nothing to it and we're not even at 24 months yet we're sitting at 22 months since they bought it. That's yeah, I mean, you're the mass guru. What percentage return is that? Oh, thanks for that, Ricky. It's over 20%. <laughs> yeah. Booming. Yeah. Booming. Absolutely. Alex asked another question on our Facebook group, and it's to all three of us. What is our forecast for the medium term in Geelong after vaccination numbers rise and the international borders open for migration again, for example, will the growth growth drivers continue or stall after an end to the escape to the regions yes. so that's a big question right you mentioned it at the start geelong's boomed um, melbourne has maybe stagnated it's starting to pick up now will geelong continue to boom or geelong's growth is not contingent on an escape from the city it's it's not contingent on covid fear i think its growth trajectory was was pushed along even more so exacerbated by that but the growth that we've had in Geelong, I think we were always destined to see. It's just it happened again really quickly. And what we also know about Geelong is you've got a lot of land release to the west and new estates. We've always got government incentives and, um, you know, we're trying to stimulate building activity. And we have turned the tap off with, with new arrivals. And when they arrive, what are they looking at? Do they... Do they get into the fringes of Melbourne where getting into the city and getting to train stations is really awkward and roads are congested? Or do you consider doing a regional move? Now, if there are jobs there, and at the moment, Geelong has jobs, and I don't see that coming off in a, in a hurry. So I think Geelong's growth trajectory is looking really good from that point of view, new homes and and stimulating that market. Also, the, the period of housing and everything that's on offer in your city. And the, there is not enough supply to meet demand. And what I'll, I will say is I, I chatted to one of my favourite agents in the area a little while ago um, about what's going on with um, in relation to, to the demand that you're seeing from, from Melbourne and from interstate buyers as well. And he was able to talk about the, the numbers of buyers absolutely ramped up at the beginning of this year. Now, if we think carefully about that, that was when we had our freedoms and um, Melburnians were out and about and, and the city started to appeal again. And I look at the core logic data now and, and study what's going on in Melbourne. Our apartment rentals were terrible. They were, you know, double digit negative growth. And they've, they've bounced right back. So Melbourne has, in that period between our two big lockdowns, Melburnians did come back to the city, but Geelong was still thriving then. So my point 
is that Geelong's growth is, is not correlating with the depths of COVID. Yeah, well, there's more people that want to come to Geelong than we have houses for, right? And if you live in Geelong and you're looking to move out, you're likely to move to a better suburb of Geelong. Um, I think the uh, migration into Geelong than out of Geelong, um, I think it's only third in the country to Gold Coast and what was the other? Um, it was another Queensland. It might have been um, this uh, the Sunshine Coast. I think it was the two the two um, uh, regional towns in Queensland. Just on the core logic data, because um, obviously you can pay for a really premium product, but the the newsletter that comes out, I think monthly, is Melbourne and then regional Victoria. So <laughs> Geelong gets bundled into regional Victoria, which makes it a bit confusing. But um, Ballarat and Bendigo, do, do you see similarities from uh, Ballarat and Bendigo to Geelong? Is Geelong so far different to those because it's coastal? Or do you see that perhaps Bendigo and Ballarat could potentially be Geelong of five or ten years ago still? No, they, they are a little bit different to Geelong. Bendigo and Ballarat have more similarities between themselves than yeah. either do with Geelong. Geelong's coastal location, proximity to Melbourne, connections to Melbourne, airport, um, and as I've said, some of those other um, central things. I mean, Bendigo and Ballarat both have universities, they have hospitals, and they have a different flavour. They're, they're provincial cities, they're gold rush cities, and they're cold, especially Ballarat. And I grew up in Ballarat, so I can attest to that. Yeah, it's freezing. So but it is a beautiful city, and you're right, like with all the period homes of, around Sturt Street and everything like that. I, yeah, I, I, I still don't think it's a bad place to invest. I shouldn't be talking people out of um, buying in Geelong. Obviously, that's our bread and butter. But yeah, I, I still definitely think there's value in areas. Oh, like there that. is, and and it's it's price points as well, and it depends on what sector of work you're in. I've helped um, consumer affairs. Um, workers move to relocate to Ballarat. They've got that enormous Gov Hub centre now on Mayor Street and Ballarat's flourishing. It's doing really well. And to, to put this into perspective and give a bit of context, Ballarat and Bendigo have a lot in common, but I don't work the Bendigo market. And I made a decision 11 years ago when I went into advocacy to be strong at one and not just moderately okay at, at two. So I worked really hard to bring my Ballarat knowledge up to speed and it too is thriving. And when I look at, as you said, the core logic data and it doesn't um, differentiate the regional cities and I wish it did. And an industry friend of mine, Simon Presley at Propertyology is the guy that gives me really good insight into the, the broken down um, regional data and, and performance. And I'm indebted to him because it, it shows some really clear trends and it, and it highlights exactly what's going on. You've got a lot in common in terms of enormous capital growth and, and strong asset value growth, but in terms of the reasons why people are, are moving to the city, um, they're, they're a little bit different, a bit varied. I want to ask too, because I have a little um, investment property in Geelong and if I was to get a second investment, I would have loved to have bought into West Footscray or Footscray or Yarraville or Seddon. Yeah. But if you've got an investor come to you with say 800,000, is it purely the numbers that you look at, the rental yield um, and capital growth? Is that when you're deciding, do I want to spend 800 in this inner west of Melbourne or spend 800 in Geelong? Is it purely on numbers? 
Yeah, it is. There's there are a couple of other things that I have to throw into the mix. Diversification, you know, where are they already? If they've got three hundred long and they're saying I've got 800 and I'm happy yeah. to have a little bit of work on my hands or I'm happy to, to deal with a gentrifying suburb and all of the things that the tenant adventures that a, de- a gentrifying suburb, suburb can deliver, I might take them into Melbourne. If they're saying I want to diversify and I want a glorious period house and a really blue chip suburb and a strong rental return, I might take them into Soldiers Hill or Ballarat Central or Lake mm. Marie. So it, it comes down to how much appetite they've got for work and what sort of tenant demographic they'll deal with because I don't want someone freaking out if they've got a demographic that, that is more demanding or, or causing trouble or whatever it might be. And I also need to, to make sure that I'm not putting all of the eggs in one basket. And as you said, yield plays a huge role. Funny you mentioned Soldiers Hill because that's one suburb that I have notifications alarm on um, on domain. That's one suburb. All right, we had one other question on uh, our Instagram page from Oi underscore Kate. Yes. South Geelong versus East Geelong. Why does East Geelong get the better rap? Do you think this will change over time? Seems to be Newtown, Geelong West and East Geelong get all the spotlight and South misses out. Now, I live in East Geelong, but I want to get your uh, two thoughts on this question. Yeah, it's not fair. It's, it should not be missing out. It's very little. And there, there's a lot going on in South Geelong that, that also blocks it out. So, you know, you've, you've got to look at the remaining streets and house blocks that are available. And as a percentage of, of total housing in those hot suburbs, South Geelong is the the most restricted in number. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. You can walk to the city. Um, there's so much there to enjoy. And obviously, having the train station there, I I, I love that. I'm, I'm a big train fan because you can get around easily. And that that is one of the shortcomings of of East. East has the park. It's got access to Eastern Beach. All those little cafes that keep popping up. You know, there's heaps to love. I think the reason why East is, is in the papers and selling so many stories is its gentrification has been the most recent of, of all of the suburbs that touch central Geelong. And it's been such a heady growth story. It gentrified and, and gained um, it, its price rise in such a short time. I mean, South was always doing pretty well. It's East that's really come up. And, and you know, if we talk objectively about um, why East came from a lower base, it had suburbs near it that that had a lower socioeconomic profile and and it's really changed its image whereas south hasn't had to undergo that that same gentrification that east has and you know west didn't do that either and newtown never had to do it so i think it's just that that east has gentrified so so magnificently that's why it gets all the news lines but i absolutely love south geelong just a masterclass answer there, Damien. I couldn't agree more. I think, um, and that probably highlights we've we've done a couple of other episodes on Thompson and Breakwater and um and all those areas that you're talking yeah. about, and they're kind of being dragged up by their bootstraps now by like how well East Geelong's doing. Damien and I have spoken plenty of times about. Um, I remember telling my parents that they should have bought in Thompson um a few years ago, and like 
trying to do the heavy lifting of what your role essentially is and how quickly they'd miss the boat because it's just, um, as I said, on the bootstraps of East Geelong. Yeah, I still don't think it's too late for Thompson and Newcomb because East Geelong continues to boom and they're literally a straight over. What I would say about South Geelong versus East Geelong is uh, exactly what Kate said, that South Geelong has been a little bit more expensive for a while and I bought in East Geelong in 2019 and our budget was 615 and we got a two bed one bath character home on 400 square meters you couldn't have got that in south geelong with that budget and as you said the suburbs small they're tightly held people in south geelong don't want to leave south geelong and east geelong is a bigger suburb so and the other thing i'd suggest to kate is go back and check out kate bacos's sunday blog a few weeks ago or it might have been a couple of months ago where kate you actually had different properties, um, character homes in some of the suburbs of Geelong. And um, and you went through the numbers of, yeah. of how they've compounded. I think Rippleside and Drumcondra and Geelong West were a couple that you mentioned. And then at the bottom, you had a property in Donald Street in East Geelong that had only done 8.5%. I say only 8.5%, but <laughs> compared to nines and tens in Geelong West and uh, in Drumcondra and Clearly, East Geelong is uh, is just catching up. So uh, mm. I think all the rap about East Geelong has been that probably the last two years it's been affordable and now it's becoming um, part of the, the big four or five. Yeah, very much so. Do you think, um, guys, it's similar when you talk about Geelong West hasn't had to undergo that sort of thing? Like what about, um, I, I still think one of the key areas to potentially look at is um, as you crossover um Ballarat Road from packing the street into that pocket of um North Geelong. Now I know there's um you know I didn't want you to talk about that. Sorry. <laughs> that's an awesome little pocket. Um I agree. I think if something comes up in there, I've got a friend that's just done a phenomenal renovation. I reckon it will probably break break the suburb record for North Geelong yeah. when that comes to market. But I just think same thing. I just if people knew about that, that's why I love the domain app um and we're hopefully going to have um, Tony Lazic on from Domain in the next couple of weeks. But one of the features they've been promoting on the tally lately uh, on the block, I think it is, they've got that thing where you can draw the circle around a certain part of a suburb that you're looking for. Yeah. I love that feature because that particular, like North Geelong as a suburb overall probably doesn't interest everyone. But if you're talking about, um, you know, something from 1910 to 1940, that's the area that you want to be looking because I think the value left in there is insane. Some of those houses are just gorgeous. Um, it's we keep up toe to toe every day of the week with some of the you know the best streets in um, in Geelong West in terms of the looks of the of the real estate. I think that's another area to watch. Yep, yeah. under, underrated for sure. Yeah, the Californian bungalows and walking distance to Packington Street. Um, yeah, I think you're right, Ricky. Kate, you've been so generous with your time. We could probably talk all day. Um, uh, I think well, I think we've nearly gone an hour. That's a, a long time, but we really appreciate <laughs> oh, your time. Is there anything you want to sign off with for all the Geelong listeners out there? Yeah, oh, a big shout out to the Geelong agents. I, I love my trips to Geelong and I've actually really missed jumping in the car and coming over. Um, yeah, the, the help that we get, the friendly on the ground, you know, chit chat and comparing comparable sales and and you know having them scout around for me and, and let me know when they've listed something cool I'm very very appreciative and I, I think if I was you know sharing anything with with the buyers out there it's to you know really embrace that there's something to be said about 
dealing with regional city agents and you know you, you guys are, are very polished and and you've um, adapted so well through all of this and you know we're we're doing deals like we do in, in Melbourne in terms of working with um, with COVID and all of the challenges it's presented. But I think the one thing I can say to buyers that, that is really refreshing and they might not be anticipating it is you, you get a pretty friendly reception in Geelong and I'm, you know, I love it. And, and I think that's the hallmark of that market. Well, I don't want to gloat, but we're out of lockdown on Friday, which yeah. means, Ricky, you're back to work. <laughs> you're going to be busy, no all of you. <laughs> Ricky, any um, open houses or um, auctions you're excited uh, of this Saturday that the uh, listeners should get along to? Uh, I think it's probably, Kate, and you can, might be able to back it up, but I think there's going to be a massive supply of new stock come to market. Now, I had two or three properties photographed Um on the Thursday before the lockdown that came in on Friday last time. So there's stock there ready to go. I've just launched a couple today, but I think we've got 12 properties being photographed in the next five days. So um, it's there's going to be a lot of new stock coming to market. So um, I think buyers are just crying out for it. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun next month. Good luck. Kate, it's been an, absolute, been an absolute pleasure. Anyone wants to find Kate Bacos to help them, uh, with the, uh, the buyer's agency side of things. You can jump on our Insta, but uh, Kate's all over Insta, Kate Bacos Property. Ricky Fort, buy or sell, we can jump on uh, Geelong Real Estate Co and see all the properties that are now coming to the market. And you can also hear Kate Bacos on one of my favourite podcasts, Property Planner, Buyer and Professor. Thanks for following us today, guys. All the best. See you both soon. See ya.